Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of programs on the book of Hebrews, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was expressing the importance of understanding the truth concerning the forgiveness that you have received because of what the Lord Jesus has done for you. And this is described in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27, that you have received the truth that the Lord Jesus has died for your sins to the extent that the entire sin issue between you and your God is over. And you must believe that truth, and you must rest in that truth, because there is no other sacrifice for sins, which means that there is no other way that you can obtain forgiveness besides what the Lord Jesus has done for you. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it is written, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And I was explaining in the previous broadcast that the willful sin or the sinning willfully was the continual rejection of what Christ Jesus has already done for us. That if you reject that, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. You cannot believe in the Lord Jesus as your Messiah if you do not fully recognize what he has actually come to accomplish for you and what he has accomplished for you. You must believe and trust in what he has accomplished for you. And if you're not going to believe that, then you have nothing else. You have no other means by which you can obtain forgiveness. There is no other way to obtain forgiveness. And so when you commit sin in the future, you have nothing to look forward to But what is described in verse 27, but a terrified expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. That's all that you will be able to look forward to because you have nothing else to look forward to. If you're not going to believe in what he has already done for you, then there's nothing else that he's going to do for you. And if you think that you're going to be able to do it for yourself, then you can forget it. All you have left is the expectation of the judgment that you are going to receive because there is no way that you're going to get all of the sin out of your life. Continuing to read into Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28, he does express how important this is and the kind of attitude that the Lord our God has concerning this subject. His attitude is certainly very different from other people's attitudes. Other people people who I see who identify themselves as Christians, they have a different kind of attitude. They personally believe that there still is a way to obtain forgiveness for your sins. Things like confession, things like asking for forgiveness, penance, apologies. There are different ways that people try to obtain forgiveness today, just as they have done in the past, which is a continual rejection of what our God has already done for us. But he has a different attitude concerning this. This is described in Hebrews chapter 10. 
beginning in verse 28, where it says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It would be terrifying, as he described in verse 27, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. But that is not what you are going to experience if you are a believer. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, who definitely is disappointed with you, to say the least. And there is a terrifying expectation of this judgment if you believe that there remains a sacrifice for sins. If you believe that there remains a way for you to deal with your sins outside of the forgiveness that you already have. Now, I understand that there are a lot of people who do believe that the Lord Jesus died for their sins and that they have no forgiveness outside of that forgiveness. Again, that is not the issue. That is not the problem. The problem is everything else that they believe in addition to that that contradicts that truth. And the most popular means by which people contradict that truth is definitely through a continual confession and apology. They believe, they believe, that they are obtaining forgiveness for their sins, when in reality that is nothing more than regarding as unclean the blood of the covenant by which they were already sanctified. Yes, according to verse 29, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, you have been sanctified. You have already been sanctified because of the blood of the covenant, because of what your God has done for you. This is a very serious theme that is presented, especially in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, by this will, we have been sanctified. In verse 14, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Again, here in verse 29, and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. Now, I understand that there's some confusion concerning this word sanctification. The word sanctification just simply means that a person has been set apart. And you have been set apart if you have been born again by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Some people are trying to divide this in half by saying that positionally you are sanctified, but practically you are not sanctified. And I, of course, totally reject this notion. I believe that you are not only positionally sanctified, but practically as well. Practically speaking, as far as our God sees us, we have been sanctified. Now, if you believe it means that you no longer sin, well, certainly, from our perspective looking to our God, we are never going to stop sinning until we shed this flesh through death. That is never going to be accomplished. From his perspective looking down to us, we do not sin. He does not see the sin that we struggle with, at least not in the terms of having to pass judgment against us or upon us because of our sin, because the judgment has already been executed. And so he is able to relate to us in the midst of our sinfulness. Otherwise, 
If this is true, if it's true that you are not practically sanctified, which means that you are going to be sanctified continually or experience some improvement in your sanctification as you continue to live this Christian life, if that's true, then how is this going to be accomplished? You have to deal with this. If you don't deal with this, then you're always going to leave somebody who you explain this to in a state of emptiness and confusion because people are not dealing with this. You must deal with the subject of how. How is sin going to be overcome? Really, how is it really going to happen? And I have, of course, done a series of programs on this subject that I titled Overcoming Sin. I did three programs on this. You can find them on the website archive or you can contact me for some audio CDs. And then I did a follow-up program on that subject called You Are Sanctified, where I address this subject in detail. And so I'm not going to approach it any further right now for the sake of time. I just want to express the reality here that is clearly given to us in verse 29, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, that you have already been sanctified because of the blood of the covenant because of what he already did. And if you won't believe that, then you are insulting the Spirit of grace. The Hebrews were insulting the Spirit of grace. The Hebrews were regarding as unclean the blood of the covenant. Some people have suggested because of their continual sacrificial offerings. And that certainly would be true, but that's not the only way. There was another way that they were doing this, and that had to do with the fact that they were continually trying to live a life of repentance and obedience trying to live a life that they could not live. That's the point. There's nothing wrong with saying no to sin. There's nothing wrong with obeying God. But the problem is, is that people were trying to live a life that they could not live. And because of that, they were living a life of deception, deceiving themselves, deceiving others, certainly not deceiving their God. But that was definitely a very real struggle of the Hebrews, that they were continually believing, they were believing that the Lord their God wanted them to live on the basis of the Mosaic Law, on the basis of their obedience and their repentance. But there is a new covenant that has gone into effect. He expressed this in Hebrews chapter 8 and in Hebrews chapter 9, that there is a new covenant that has gone into effect. And here in Hebrews chapter 10, the blood of the covenant, referring to the new covenant, that there is a completely different covenant that is not like the old as was prophesied by Jeremiah, as was repeated by the writer here who wrote this letter to the Hebrews, that the new covenant is not like the old, that they are totally different, and the reason why the new covenant would be able to go into effect was because he would remember our sins no more. And so if he remembers our sins no more, and yet we continually live our lives believing that we are relating to God on the basis of our sins or the absence thereof, then we are not living according to the new covenant. We are not living on the basis of the new covenant. We have not walked in. We have not even gotten started in the new covenant because we have not transitioned beyond that important statement that he would be able to institute the new covenant because he would remember our sins no more. But you many of you, continually believe with the things that you believe, with the things that you do, with the things that you say, you continually express that he still holds your sins against you, which is definitely not true. If it was, then you would have nothing to look forward to but the fiery indignation of hell, the vengeance of God who will repay and judgment that which you should be terrified of. 
But if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are a born-again believer, even though you may be deceived into believing that your God still holds your sins against you in some respects, even though you have been deceived, you may perhaps deserve such punishment from God, but that doesn't mean you are going to be punished. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, it is written, How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant? How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve? Well, you may actually deserve it, but again, it is not going to be dispensed severer punishment. It's not going to be dispensed because he doesn't hold your sins against you. And so if you have been deceived, as the Hebrews were, who the writer is writing to, if you have been deceived, then you need to first recognize that you have been deceived. You need to second change your mind. That is an act of repentance. And you need to believe the truth. You need to believe the truth. And if you will, then you will begin to experience growth and maturity. You will begin to walk in the newness of life that has been presented to you. And if you won't believe that, then you won't begin to experience the newness of life that has been presented before you. Continuing in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, it is written, But remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Now, he's talking about this in the context of past tense, that there was a time when they had this type of attitude, but now They do not. And I believe that the writer is making it clear that the reason why was because there came a point when they were deceived into believing that the Lord their God still relates to them on the basis of their sins. I believe that that is the primary means by which they were held in bondage and that the fact that they were still trying to live in obedience to the Mosaic law was nothing more than a symptom of that reality. So also today, there are many people who are still under the same form of bondage and their pursuit of their own systems of law, their denominational laws or their church laws or their own personal laws, their own systems of good and evil and right and wrong is nothing more than a symptom of the fact that they don't really believe that the sin issue between them and their God actually came to an end. But the writer is acknowledging that these people at one time, they certainly were persecuted that there was a manifestation, there was a revelation of the fact that they were believing something that was causing the religious people to be quite irritated, quite upset, to the extent where the religious people would persecute them. The religious people would be those who are trying to live a life of repentance and obedience in order to either obtain or sustain their right standing with their God. But the believers in Christ Jesus as the Messiah would instead recognize that they have obtained a right standing with their God because of what their God did for them. That their right standing with their God would be sustained because of what their God already accomplished for them. And that was the division between 
the religious people in Israel at that time versus the people who believed in Christ Jesus as their Messiah. Unfortunately, the people who believed in Jesus as their Messiah did not follow through with the implications of the forgiveness of sins that would have set them free from the Mosaic law. They did not follow through. They did not follow through far enough like the Apostle Paul did. They did not follow through, and so they ended up back in a form of religious bondage that was the same, relatively the same, as the other people there in Israel to the extent where they would live a life that was similar to the religious people there in Israel, those who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Certainly, there came a point, we know this in the book of Acts, as you read through the history of the development of the early church, we can tell that eventually the church did not live any differently than the people who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. There came a point when it was clear, it was obvious, that the believers in Jerusalem could not be distinguished clearly from the people who did not believe in Jesus. That we certainly know. And the writer of this letter to the Hebrews expresses this very well at the end of Hebrews chapter 5 and the beginning of Hebrews chapter 6 when he says, by this time you ought to be teachers. By this time you ought to be telling others about the gospel, about the new covenant, and about the things that he has done for you and the implications of what he has accomplished for you. You should have moved beyond the milk and into the meat, but they had not done that. And this is why. I really believe that this is why. It's because of this forgiveness issue, just as it was back then, so also it is today, that today, today we struggle with the exact same thing, that the reason why the church is not very well distinguished from the world is because of sin and forgiveness. The same reason why, you know, there's a lot of people in the world today who reject the Lord Jesus and they sincerely believe that they're pretty good people and they can compare themselves very well with others who do believe in Jesus And rightly so, they can say, I'm not as sinful as those people are, at least from an outward fleshly perspective. That just as there are sins in the world, there are sins in the church, that the people in the church are not, percentage-wise, statistically speaking, are not experiencing any greater accomplishments in being set free from their sins than those who are in the world. You know, there's lots of people in the world who don't struggle with the same temptations as people in the church do. It is as if they have overcome them, whereas the people in the church have not. You know, people talk about these things outside of the religious world. They talk about these things, and they relate to each other on this basis and say, Why? Why should I become a Christian if all they talk about is overcoming sin, and yet they have not done so? Well, when they have, call me, and then I will embrace whatever they are believing so that I can experience some freedom too. But that's never going to happen because people are not transitioning into the new covenant to live according to it. In verse 34, For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. That the manifestation of their belief and trust in what their God had done for them had gone to the extent where they were willing to let go of the things in this world, the things on this earth. Truly, that they would certainly be willing to let go, and they did let go of these things, or at least they were seized, and they rejoiced. They rejoiced. They did not mourn at their losses because they knew and they trusted in what was there in heaven for them. But again, this is past tense. Those things dissipated. Those things went away 
when they failed to follow through with the implications of the forgiveness that had been given to them. In verse 35, the writer says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, giving them the benefit of the doubt, their confidence that they have been completely forgiven, which has a great reward. Well, what is this reward? You know, people are often consumed with rewards. And, you know, i got to tell you, I do believe that believers will receive rewards in heaven. I, I do believe that. But on the other hand, they really have no importance to me personally, at least not in comparison of having the Lord Jesus, of having him as a person in my life, of knowing him and of experiencing a relationship with him, whatever rewards there may be, those things are trivial. Those things have virtually no meaning in comparison with having my God. So I understand that there are a lot of people who are very well motivated to be good Christians because of the anticipation, the expectation of rewards that they may receive in heaven. I, but I personally, I just can't relate to that. I don't, I don't live that way. As for myself, I live on the basis of knowing my God. To me, there is nothing greater than the rest and the peace that I experience with him. Nothing could possibly compare with that. But in in verse 35, he speaks about a great reward. And, you know, I personally believe that the reward is truly experiencing the new covenant and living in the new covenant, that that is it. But you must embrace the forgiveness that has been given to you. Otherwise, it is as if you have thrown away your confidence. You have thrown away your belief. You reject the truth that has been revealed. And when you do that, you're not going to experience the peace that the Lord has provided for you. If you're not going to believe him, then what do you expect him to do? What do you expect him to tell you next? If you're not going to believe the fundamental truths that he has revealed, what else do you expect him to tell you? Especially when everything that I understand concerning the new covenant is built on this fundamental premise that the sin issue is completely over. If you don't believe that, then I don't know what else he can tell you. I don't know what else he can show you, and I don't know how you can mature and grow beyond where you are now. And so you must believe and continually believe, which requires, in a certain sense, an expression of endurance, that there is an endurance associated with this. This is described in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, where it is written, For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Well, now, people will look at this often and they will say, so you've got to figure out what the will of God is for you. And once you have done that, then you will receive what is promised for you. But until you have done the will of God for you, you will not receive the promise. And so you better get busy with it. I, I don't look at it that way. I do not look at the will of God in this context, as his desire for your actions or your behavior. I do not look at it from that perspective. I interpret Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, where he described the will of God as being the description of the inheritance that you have received in Christ Jesus as a result of his death. You have need of endurance to believe in the forgiveness of sins so that you can receive the abundance of what he has for you, his love for you, his acceptance for you, his understanding concerning the world that he has created so that you can see the world 
through his eyes, you can hear things through his ears, you can perceive what is taking place through his understanding of what is happening in the world around you, that this is what he will dispense to you, that he has given to you freely as a result of his death, because he has died for you, he has given to you an inheritance, which is the description of the will of God. The will of God is a description of an inheritance that you have received as a result of his death. But if you don't understand the importance of his death, If you don't understand the importance of the forgiveness of sins, then you are not going to receive. You may certainly have rights to it, but you are not going to take and apply and live with the abundance of what you have been given. That is doing the will of God. Doing the will of God is taking of the inheritance and living with the abundance of what you have been given. And in that way, you receive what was promised. You receive him and you receive all the peace and all the rest that was promised. You receive all the blessings in heavenly places. You receive all that he has. And with that, you then have what you need in order to live in the world that you are a part of and in order to live the life that is before you right now to the fullest extent that he desires, which is for you to live with the abundance of what you have and not to live on the basis of what you think you're going to get, or on the basis of what you think you're going to earn, or anything like that. That is not the new covenant. Continuing in verse 37, For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith, to the preserving of the soul. Do not shrink back. Do not forget what he has done for you. Maintain your endurance in terms of believing and trusting in the truth that has been revealed to you. Do not shrink back from that. He will have pleasure in you trusting and believing in him. Your faith is your response to the truth that has been revealed to you to the preserving of who you are, of who he has made you to be. And your living response will be a living testimony of who he is as your life then becomes a testimony of the living God. And that is the introduction to Hebrews chapter 11. That your faith, your faith is the expressed manifestation of your trusting and believing in what your God has said, that your faith is nothing more than your response to the truth that he has revealed. And this is your testimony of the reality of who he is, so that the invisible God becomes manifested in a visible way as you reflect an image of who he is, so the world can see their God. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 
80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. 